Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Truck. Welcome to Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Truck AG, and I hope all of you are well and healthy. Thank you all so much for being with us again. In today's episode, we will talk about no less than the backbone of modern life. We will discuss the foundation of factories to run productions, for supermarkets to offer goods, and for all of us to have full refrigerators and closets. This foundation is transportation and logistics. Transportation and logistics are the magic network that connects people and markets across regions, countries and continents. This network is currently being challenged by supply bottlenecks, geopolitical tensions and, of course, the necessity to decarbonize. Today, we want to discuss what these challenges mean for logistics going forward and what our logistics of the future can look like. I'm glad to have the perfect guest for this discussion with me today, Frank Appel. Frank Appel is the CEO of Deutsche Post DHL, a global leader in logistics. He originally studied chemistry and earned a PhD in neurobiology. Frank Appel joined Deutsche Post in 2000 and became CEO in 2008. So he is one of the most influential leaders in this industry and has helped shape it for many years. Frank Appel, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Martin, for the invitation. I'm looking forward to, to an interesting discussion. Yes, and Frank, and let's start with something personal, very interesting. When I was preparing and reading that you have a PhD in neurobiology, I wouldn't have expected you to run a logistics company. What was your journey from that PhD to later end up in Deutsche Post DHL? My life has been pretty unplanned with regard to that. In one dimension, not because I always wanted to influence other people as well through what I'm doing, but then I finished my PhD. I felt the university was not my place. I had some good and some bad experience. And I said, okay, now I look for something else. I couldn't find a job at that time in chemistry or chemical or pharmaceutical companies. So I applied for a consultancy job and I got a job with McKinsey and the rest is history. I start serving this company as a consultant. And then finally, my predecessor asked me if I joined the company. So I never had the intent to live in Bonn. I never had the intent to run a logistics company. So it happened actually by accident. Or you can also say it happened because I was lucky to take the right choices in the right moment. The special about you is, and I haven't done the research, but it seems you are potentially the longest serving uh, CEO of a German DAX company. And I don't know whether anyone can beat you because this is about 14 years now being the CEO, which makes you especially interesting for today when we talk about transformation. Because thinking of your first year in 2008 or nine, you had all other problems to solve, but transformation to decarbonization. Can you share a little bit your personal journey and the journey of your company from the early beginnings in the zero years now to today's sustainability pledge, which you gave and give? No, absolutely. So actually, if I really got into the office, we had a significant business challenges. We had a heavy loss making American business. We had still a bank and the post bank at that time. And then the financial market crisis was on a horizon. So I had no time to think about really sustainability at that time. Nevertheless, 
despite the you know really big problems at that time, I, when I got into the office, we started our journey to become a carbon neutral company or carbon free company. We said already in 2008 that we want to improve our efficiency until 2020 by 30%. Why is that? Being a chemist, I know that carbon is a problem for the world and I have two kids and I said, you know, we have to start working on that because we are a significant emitter of carbon. So we started the journey already in 2008 You know, it was not always a straight line and it has then accelerated over time until we, this year we renewed our commitment that we become science-based target driven, that we invest until 2037 billion. So it has been a journey But it was already one of the first things I did in 2008 because I'm convinced that business has to contribute that and business has to find the solutions. And was it always an unchallenged journey or was it initially a, a challenge? And I ask it because I myself came to, to the movement much later. If you would have asked me 2009, 10, 11 about decarbonization of heavy trucking, I would have said, absolutely give it a hike. Nobody will ever pay extra money to drive a, a battery electric truck. We changed, certainly I changed as a person, we changed as a company, but we came much later to the party than you. You know, at that time, it was probably more a long-term commitment and we have done the obvious things. Yeah, Of course, we installed solar panels or reduced energy consumption. We started to buy in renewable energy. These all had not massive impact, I have to admit, on our P&L differently from a company like yours where you have the strongest people are probably the engine guys and the engine guy says you are completely nuts. You know, we have a competitive advantage in this area and now you want to replace it with somebody which everybody can build. I know that this is not so easy, but you probably have heard that. Yeah, yeah. It's different if you are supplier with solutions because if you have a strong, very profitable base why you should convert. In our case, it was we asked suppliers to help us But our fundamental business model at that time has not changed. Uh, and therefore, it was probably easier for us as well to go on that journey than for those who are really producing the solutions to the problem. When you said there were people say we have so many assets in the engine business, that was potentially never for me the real argument because I always lived by the principle, if it can be done, it will be done. If not by you, by someone else, you know, which is pretty powerful, which relieves you from the mistakes of the past or the pattern of the past and focuses on the future. But I really thought for some times it can't be done. But now we have the conviction certainly it can be done and then it should be done by us and not by someone else. But back to your pledge, you said you want to be a, a net zero by 2050 and you mean the globe everywhere. Or do you see regional differences between that? I 100% believe that is doable. I think overall the business has gained tremendous momentum. If I go through the different elements, of course, for last mile delivery, we will use electric vehicles. We have the biggest buyer at the moment for electric vehicles. That's a perfect application mm -hmm. because stop and go short distances, they come back to the same base. Yeah. So nothing is better than electric because it's easy to get it to the place. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to charge. So for a line haul or regional, it's probably also long-term electricity. There might be some biogas-based solutions for that. And for long haul, I think this is still, you know, not clear if it will be battery or hydrogen. And that is still the race. 
what brings us more innovation and better cost positions that will win the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is something we do on the road. In the air, it will be only sustainable aviation fuel. On maritime, probably the same. We already signed recently the biggest sustainable aviation fuel deal ever with Neste and BP because we believe we will not drive airplanes by hydrogen very soon. And these airplanes will fly for 30, 40 years. So we need the technology which replaces classical fuel by alternative Mm -hmm. fuels. And that is what we are working on. So for buildings, of course, solar panels, renewable energy, all this kind of stuff. So we are working on all these elements. There's no silver bullet. It's Mm -hmm. a journey. Mm But I believe the next 30 years will help us to find the solutions. And the current energy crisis, I think, will accelerate that process. Even if we see at the moment, and this is something which is for me at the moment the biggest concern, that fuels tend to get cheaper. Politicians uh, took CO2 penalties away from fuel to make it cheaper at the pump. And on the other side, we see a significant increase, especially in electric power, or we see the definite need for, let's say, CO2-free electric power, which we don't have at the moment. You're right. At the beginning and at the moment, it's probably completely distorted, but I think the world has now realized, or at least Europe has realized, that we have to become independent from fossil fuel. And that will drive a change. I hope that it will enable our countries to put uh, investment decisions faster in place, the cables we need around the network, the grid we need, that we get more solar and more wind where it's doable, all these kind of things, that we get more hydrogen uh, stations, that we get more power stations for recharging. You're right, at the beginning, it will be more costly, but we also pay for the sustainable aviation fuel significantly more. But we have to tell our customers, you have to pay for it as well. If you have a journey to become carbon-free, you have to pay for that, Mm. and as we have to pay for it somehow. So I think if the next 18 months are over, I think we will see a massive acceleration of the whole journey. So that's my hope. I really believe that this will take Mm. place. I mean, you bring in a very important point Ultimately, we have to pay for that. That is always one of our pledges as well. There is a reason why in trucking we went for the last 120 years with diesel because it's diesel is the most efficient way to store and transport energy and then to transfer it into mobility. Everything else is less efficient. However, CO2-free, but less efficient means ultimately it costs more. Yeah. So, and if diesel wouldn't be heavily taxed and already penalized, there would be no way to have something cheaper. So our point is diesel has to either CO2 emitting technologies have to become more expensive, which would be the market oriented way. Yeah. You put those external costs in the price and then push people into more efficient technologies encompassing all effects or they have to accept that CO2 free services are more expensive. I can differentiate it. I can sell you a diesel truck for 80,000 and an electric truck for 120,000. But can you at Deutsche Post DHL differentiate? We have already the first, uh, our Go Green Plus products, where we, for instance, for the ocean, we buy a sustainable maritime fuel and we put a surcharge on that on our services to our customers. And we see that customers are buying that and understanding that they get a credit for that. Mm-hmm. And we, in exchange, of course, compensate them for at least part of the cost we have. And I think that is necessary. The good news is that 
all our investors are looking for that as well. And they expect that we do something. So that's the reason why we all committed. I think in the B2B world where you are in and we are mainly in, uh, I think we will see a good pickup of the extra cost. And by the way, in our industry, it is a historical chance because the rates are so through the roof at the moment in comparison to pre-COVID. We as an industry have to work out that the rates are coming down again, but not to the same level before the pandemic. The difference between these two levels should be that we charge for the sustainable fuel. Mm. That's the increment. And customers still would be willing and happy that the rates are much lower, but not as low as before COVID. And if that happens, and that's the reason why we are pushing to price it, if the whole industry does that, then we might find a way to really finance the additional investments. I think we are in a historical moment due to this pressure from the war in the Ukraine and the energy that we will see faster progression than we might anticipate it two or three years ago. And, and the companies who will win in that game are really the innovative companies who have new ideas who can help us. And at the moment, we would buy more electric vans, but there is not enough capacities available. But those who really provide us will make the business. Yeah. And once you are done with buying the electric vans, we are in the business of selling electric trucks or fuel cell trucks, which offer us, by the way, electric trucks as well. The one stores the energy in a battery, the other produces the electric energy in the truck itself. When it comes to that, we say it needs two things to party on the heavy trucking side. We need the product from our side where we are working, and I would say we're kicking out new products by the half the year, not just us, but the entire industry. So I'm absolutely convinced that in two, three years, we have a full portfolio of all potential trucking products, both fuel cell and battery electric. But then comes the next challenge, and that is the infrastructure and the electricity that drives the infrastructure. I always see the different parties. So there is a politician, which are the lawmaker, then there is a business, and then there is science. And we play different roles in that game. Politicians should set up the right regulation, which enables the market to find the right responses. That means we need a price ticket for carbon emissions, and they work on that. I think what they now intend to do with the ETS system in Europe, on you know, a fit for 55 on the air and on the road is right because we need a price for carbon emissions because that makes it more expensive traditional combustion engines. The business needs to derive then and has to make commitments and generate demand. And then the scientists behind you, but also you have a lot of scientists, you have to provide us with a solution. Mm. And if you take these three things, then the rules are clear. One second thing governments needs to do is, and you asked for that, is they have to put infrastructure in place because it's very difficult to find business cases for that. You can't create pan-German charging stations for the trucks if you have electric trucks. So you will never get a business yeah. case because your trucks would be so expensive or you would make heavy losses. Yeah. Neither of your competitors to believe that the industry combined will create that you all have the same problem. The only people who really can push that are the governments. And I tell that governments always, you have to provide the infrastructure because you're only the one who can accept stranded assets. Mm. Because the decision you take now, if they realize that hydrogen or power stations or whatever are not working, that will be in 10, 15 years. And by then, a different politicians are in your jobs anyway. So you don't have to suffer from your own decision. But if you don't solve the chicken egg problem, 
then we will get slower progress. So you have to solve that. You have to put the right infrastructure in place mm. and then let the market decide which is the best, most efficient technology. But don't tell us it has to be electric or it has to be hydrogen or it has to be bio-waste liquids or power to liquid. That will be worked out by business in a competitive environment. But the infrastructure, you have to help us on that with tax money. That's an extremely interesting thought because you're absolutely right. We go the other way. We go the business way. But because of the uncertainty of the future, everyone is just tiptoeing in. Because everyone is fully aware if I do a mistake, I have to write it off. And then every company has a certain amount you can cover in your balance sheet and you know exactly which amounts you can't cover in your balance sheet because it will have disastrous impacts on the future of the company. And therefore, you tiptoe in just to figure out what might work or not. Yeah, so it is the same with roads. So nobody argues that roads shouldn't be paid by the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. But how the roads are used... Yeah. That is done by business yeah. and not by governments. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the market should decide which vehicles are best suited for which mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. Is it last mile or long haul or passenger cars? But if you don't provide that with a proper infrastructure, it will not work. And the same with roads. You know, you can build new trucks, but if there are no roads, you know, also these experiments with that you have the cables over the freeways, you know what I mean? That's a solution as well. But then somebody has to build these cables and that is connected to the road. So you can't build that pan-Germany or pan-European. It yeah. will kill you by the cost. But governments can take these decisions and should make these decisions, like they build canals or airports or whatsoever. They later on can privatize that x as they have done with, with energy or with our business. But that's when the final step and not the first step. And I think that needs to be understood. And if that's not well done, then we will not make the progress we could make if we uh, really have choices of infrastructure and let the market decide which works best. That's right. And then the next industry which we have to tackle is certainly the energy generation itself. Yeah, When we talk about green energy, it has to be green energy. It has to be green electric current out of the charging station. It has certainly to be green H2, uh, CO2 free, because when we look at how we get in future measured with scope three measurements. Then we get if the electric current comes out of coal or natural gas, or if the hydrogen is not green, we get penalized with that CO2 emissions and rightfully so uh, while producing the energy. Now, the big question is certainly how do we change the entire economy to green electric energy? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that is, of course, different by segment. But again, there's probably more deregulation. We need faster decision processes because we need more wires. We need more windmills. We need more solar panels. Otherwise, it doesn't work. For the energy sector, that is probably more the limiting factor because the nice thing about the energy sector, and the moment they generate energy, they can sell that. Mm. And there's not a chicken egg problem because if I say I can buy it, of course, if they can't bring it to my place, then it's a problem. Mm. And in principle, if we have windmill parks in the North Sea, we need cables to bring them here, but we will buy that. In your case, I can buy your trucks, but I don't have a proper charging station on the way from Hamburg to Munich. I said, you know, what should I do now with that? Mm -hmm. I don't buy yeah. it until you not provide the charging station either. Yeah. So therefore, it is not similar in the energy sector, I think. And we have that discussion for sustainable aviation fuel. 
the big companies are not asking for co-investment. They say, we need demand from you. Mm. If I give you demand, I can do that. But if I can't use them, it doesn't make any difference. And that's the reason why we asked, okay, we have demand, but we need charging as well. And if we don't get that, then we will not make this decision. And that's for energy slightly different. Therefore, I'm energy. I think it's more of the direct or the better regulation of approval processes, mm. which Europe needs then we need new companies or investments from the government. I think the energy providers will buy, build all the cables into the countries if they are allowed to do that, because it's an instant business case for them. If I have more cable, I can produce more power, I can sell more power, and that's easy for them relatively. But if they can't build new lines, then it's difficult to sell more stuff somewhere. Yeah. So I think it's different by sector. I'm really talking about where, and that's the reason why sometimes I'm a little bit said that we think you know we should get rid of combustion engines because we have a fantastic global infrastructure for that. We know to transport that, to distribute that. And if we introduce diesel or gas from carbon, water, we're in Chile or wherever, or in the desert, then we would, call it, of course, use the existing infrastructure and we would not have this chicken egg problem somehow. And I think at the moment, in some markets, we are too rigid and say, we want to get rid of combustion engines. Mm -hmm. If you think about circular economy, as you said, I'm a chemist, you know, plants are doing that. They take carbon and water and produce something meaningful that actually became oil and gas. And now we burn that. You know, if we do the same, we have perfect circular economy and we would use combustion engines to do that. Batteries are not perfect circular economy because what do we do with waste? Hydrogen is also you know, perfect because you use renewable energy to produce hydrogen, but normal fuel would be also perfect circular economy. But at the moment, everybody says we should get rid of that. And that's, for example, and very well said, example why we are so bullish on fuel cells. Yeah, Because A, it allows us to import green energy. You know, We take the sunshine from the Middle East or from uh, Australia uh, from Mexico, put the sunshine into hydrogen, bring the hydrogen to here, and then recycle it to water while releasing the energy out of the hydrogen. This fairly little impact on material when we do that in the fuel cell. That was basically how to transport and store green energy and get it in an easy way back into motion. That was our reason to go. This is doing and if you think about the goal has to be is that we get one kilowatt for one cent. And that's not doable yet, but it will be doable if you go to the right places. Yeah, and yeah. then the whole efficiency of the process is neglectable. Because if you pay one cent for kilowatt hour. I can know, have 100% inefficiency and still I two cents per kilowatt hour. Exactly. And that's the reason. And hydrogen is still, we don't have a hydrogen infrastructure. Right. I understand hydrogen has some advantages, but... If you think about generation of sustainable fuel, the problem is we can't compensate everything. That's the reason why we need probably the sustainable fuel first for the airlines, mm. because fly hydrogen around, even if I know that you can control that from a technology perspective, but I have some doubts that politicians will allow that over the major cities, airplanes with hydrogen will fly over them. Mm. So therefore, I say that's a different game. So we need sustainable fuel and we need first plants to produce that. But in principle, the shipping of normal fuel, which is produced in the Sahara, is much easier than hydrogen. Mm. And the infrastructure is where we have the, all the pumping stations, we have everything for that. 
but it's probably too far way out. So maybe we come back to combustion engines in 80 years or 100 years because we have so much infrastructure. We say it's much better to transport fuel instead of hydrogen, but we both will not be alive at that time. So we will never see if that really happens. If I would ask you to be the chief fortune teller, how would you see global transportation logistics 2050 around the world? Yeah, this is a good question and it's a very tricky one. What happens in our industry at the moment is that we are on the journey to become more sustainable. So I have no doubt that logistics will be more sustainable. You know, if you think about logistics, the best way to avoid carbon is to make it simpler and easier somehow, which is not possible. So therefore, we have to make it cleaner. The second is digitalization. Our industry, and you know, you're working in an industry where you had already for ages robots in your plants. We had hardly any robots. We have worked with manual work. Technology is now advancing so much that we are working our robots to collaboratively with people. The complexity of the jobs is still huge. People say, oh, it's easy to be a mailman. It will take still more than 100 years, if ever possible, at a decent price mm. to deliver mail from a robot mm. because the complexity of what these guys are doing is horrendous. But people think it's so easy you know, to drop some letters into a mailbox. But let's drive it with a robot. You will yeah, finding the mailbox is the first challenge. Finding the mailbox knowing all the specialities and where are stairs and steps. And so it's easy said, but difficult. It's the same with, in your business, autonomous driving. So five years ago, people said, in five to 10 years, every truck will be autonomous. We don't need any truck drivers. Now we have shortage on truck drivers yeah. because people start stopping to, oh, you know, I don't want to do a job, which is gone very soon. It was all madness to say we will lose it because To drive a truck is not as easy as people might think. And mm -hmm. to make zero mistake, and even don't think about unit 100% availability. What do we do if a snowstorm comes? Okay, when you fight on the right side and we are all waiting until the snowstorm is over. I know that happens only in 1% of a year or even less, but what do we do there? If you have no people who have a driver's license, we can wait forever. And then people complain mm -hmm. what is going on now because, you know, this is not so simple. Mm -hmm. Mm. autonomous driving as it looks like. And that will impact our industry enormously because technology becomes more affordable and therefore we will do different things differently. And we are doing that. We are converting our organization and digitalize the organization more and that will change. The rest will be the same. We will still move stuff around the world. We have still to deliver to home places, maybe to lockers or combination of those. Because, you know, what we have dreamed when we were young, that we are beaming stuff from one end to the other. That, I think, is not imaginable at the moment. And also 3D printing. You can do that for some things. You can do that for your prototypes. But to do a 3D printing for your trucks, good luck, yeah? No, but we can do it for older spare parts, yeah? We don't yes, have exactly. to, to keep a thousand spare parts from a truck from 1980 anymore. We can just print it when necessary. Exactly. There are niche applications for 3D printing. And of course, you probably can do in your business as well things because you don't have to bring them together. They are out of one piece and therefore we can make them thinner and lighter because the physics of that piece are probably different than they are, all, are made of one piece instead of several pieces. So, but this is niche apply. You know, nobody will ever produce with their 3D printers diapers or something yeah. because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So there will be still movement of goods in 50, 100, and 200 years, but the logistics will be much more sustainable 
in much more digital than it's at the moment. You're absolutely right. You know, the exchange of goods is the backbone of our society. It started with the old guys in Greece two and a half thousand years ago, and it will continue, in my opinion. Logistics, the flow of goods will grow despite all digitalization, and therefore transportation will stay important. One last personal question. You had been now 14 years CEO. Do you think the next 14 years for your successor will be more difficult or less difficult than your 14 years? I don't believe at the moment, if you read, we are living as CEOs in most difficult times. I'm not sure if that's true. That is so often written. Mm. I don't know what the challenges might be. I'm not saying I had a more difficult job than my predecessor. I would never say I had an easier job. What I think is necessary that you are agile enough to respond to the challenges. And if you think about our company now in 15 years and 30 years ago, we have a more agile organization. We are adapting faster to changes than we have probably done that. Does it mean that it will be for my successor easier? I think it will not be easier. A CEO job is very different from any other job anyway, as you yourself experience now after the spin of a Daimler trucks, a CEO of a group is very different than a divisional leader. And nobody understands that, and that until it happens. Yeah. And I was a board member before as well, but I didn't realize what I have signed on for when I got the CEO. And it's different. It is different. Ultimate decision maker is different than a member of a team. I'm not saying that we are better than the others, but it's different. And I know that now for a long time. You experienced that now for quite some time as well. It is different. Yeah, and you have to think so far ahead and really envision a future that is far from reality, but still have to set the path and the foundations for that future today. Very interesting. I really like when you said you started extremely early in that decarbonization story and journey, and it really pays off now at Deutsche Post and DHL. And I'm glad that we are someone who can help you on that journey, at least for the middle mile and the long haul when it comes to trucking. Knowing all the topics I could and would love to discuss with you, we only scratched the surface. We can go on so much longer. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the really great conversation and your insight. Yeah, thank you, Martin, as well. From my side, it was really an interesting conversation. And I really deeply believe that companies like yours and ours, we have to be a part of the solution. And I know that you are saying that as well. And that's important. I think business is best equipped to find the answers to the challenges. And I'm deeply convinced that business has made on sustainability significantly more progress than the public thinks. But that's great news and not bad news. Thank you so much. Great last word. Thanks everyone for listening. Please join us again for our next episode of Transportation Matters because transportation truly matters for all of us. Until then, take care and stay healthy. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Truck. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title. 